my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Robert, thanks for sitting down. Glad um, to be here, Mark. You know, I consider you a good friend. Uh, I love Likewise, hanging out and talking man. with you. Um, sometimes the best conversations are when we're just flowing, and then I hate how it like turns into an interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, like, it's, we're all different when the cameras are on. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's a human thing, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I hate to turn it into an interview. It's fun just to kind of rip a little bit. But I wanted to, um, you know, we've been next door neighbors here at the Bitcoin conference. You've been busy over here. I've been busy over here. And unfortunately, I missed a lot of stuff that was going on. Yeah. Um, last night, I watched some of the videos trying to catch up a little bit. Um, you got to give a keynote presentation at the event. Yeah. Which is a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was. This First is the, big, the biggest conference of the year. I might, I don't know, I would guess, might be the biggest keynote of your career. I think so, in to, terms of number of people, yeah. Yeah, number of people. Yeah. Um, I certainly want to go back and watch it, but let's talk about that. Yeah. So give me the high-level 30,000-foot uh, view of what that was. Yeah, so I'll give you kind of the backstory because I think it's relevant. Um, you may have seen John Bravecki on my show. Mm-mm. He's a colleague of Jordan Peterson's, okay. so he's... Uh, oh, that was a while ago, right? Yeah, he's, we did the John Bravecki series. Okay. Um, he he had a very popular lecture series on YouTube called Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Okay. It's like 50, five, zero, one hour episodes wow. about, I mean, starts in the beginning of time basically and goes through all our philosophical history and builds up to why we are in this meaning crisis today. Um, just a really brilliant guy. A lot of people have described... Awakening from the meaning crisis? Yes. A lot of people have described Jordan Peterson as the gateway drug to John Verveke. So if you're into Peterson's work, I mean, Verveke's work kind of goes to another level. They're both very deep and fascinating in their own right, but Verveke's 
very interesting guy. And so he, again, I've had him on the show. He's been like just a great guy to bounce ideas off of, reading recommendations, super smart, interesting guy. He's been a, a very good friend in that way. When I have weird esoteric questions about the things I'm working on, I'll shoot him a text and he sends me good resources. So we kind of had that dialogue going. And at one point I was watching his interview on the Lex Fridman podcast. Okay. And he was describing the nature of the flow state. Right. And the flow state is said to be an optimal human experience. And it's optimal in two ways. One, it's one of the most enjoyable experiences human beings can have in a way that's distinct from just pleasure because people do weird stuff to get into flow like rock climbing, you know, like rock climbing is not pleasurable, it's painful right. actually, but it can get you into this flow state that people will do almost anything to get into flow. Like it's just, it's, a, it's an optimal human experience in right. that sense. It's also optimal in the sense that people in flow tend to give peak performances. So Olympic gold medalists, they'll report these like, they're just in the zone, right? right? Is what athletes say a lot. Yeah, so I was gonna ask you to define what the peak state is or the flow state. So that's kind of where everything starts going on autopilot and everything just starts clicking and like your subconscious almost takes over. Yes, yeah, something like that, but it's very enjoyable and you're typically performing at a very high level. So there's a, they, they do a chart where it's basically like your skill set, the level of your skills on the vertical axis, and then the, the challenge on the horizontal axis. Okay. And flow is kind of the diagonal channel in between. Because if you've got very high skills and low challenge, you're bored. Okay. If you've got very high challenge and low skills, you're anxious or you have anxiety. Okay. But right in the middle where your skills are matched to the demands of the situation is the flow state. Where you're working on your core competency. Yeah, you're like you're you're pushing your skills right to the edge. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're, you're Which is why rock climbing yes. is one of those. Yes. I've been an action sports guy my whole life growing up in Southern California. So you get it. And you know, meditation is this thing where they say you should kind of try to clear your mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm not good at that because my brain works so fast. Mm. But when I'm dropping in on a double overhead wave and there's razor sharp coral below. You're meditating. Or I'm going 80 miles an hour on my dirt mm -hmm. bike across open desert. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that can come across your mind. Yes, exactly right. And actually meditation is another form of flow. Right. Because meditation is a skill, right? But right. you're matching your skill to the challenge of not thinking. Okay. It's hard to do. It's very yeah. hard to do. It takes practice. So... Anyways, it's this optimal human experience. People love to get into it. And it's also where we cultivate like skills, competence, virtue. Like we, it's where people become better. The more often we get into flow, the better we become at whatever we're flowing, whatever activity we're flowing within. So he was describing that. And he, in the book Flow by, I cannot pronounce this guy's last name. The author of Flow is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. I think is how you pronounce his last name. We'll just call it the book, The Flow. Yeah, yeah, it's called the it's called Flow. It was okay. written back in the 80s or 90s. And Verveke was telling Lex about the three informational conditions necessary for flow induction. So to get into the flow state, there's three informational things you need. One is that information must be clear, it must be unambiguous, and it must be flowing. So if you're looking in the case of the rock climber, a rock climber can only be good to the extent that his senses are working, right? His eyes need to be working, his ears need to be working, he needs to be able to feel the rocks, all these things. If, his, if all of a sudden he lost his sense of sight, then information's not flowing, well, he's not going to be in a flow state, right? right? He's going to fall off the damn rock face. Right. So you have to have information that's flowing. You also have to have tightly coupled feedback loops. 
So such that every action you take, the environment responds with immediacy. Right. So if he, you know, misgrabs uh, a, a rock and there was no consequence to that, then he wouldn't know that he was doing it wrong. But, you know, when you're rock climbing, there's an immediate consequence. Right. You put your foot or hand the wrong way, well, you fall off. Yeah. Or you feel it slipping or the rock right. cracking. Right. So the point is there can't be a lag between action and environmental response. Um, and then the third one was failure has to matter, right? There have to be consequences to failure. And so when I heard Verveke describe these three, it hit me like a ton of bricks that he was simultaneously describing the informational conditions necessary for free market capitalism, which is we need information that flows, yeah. right? We need clear and unambiguous price signals. Right. To the extent you debase the currency, you distort price signals, Entrepreneurs don't know, is that a shift in supply and demand or is that quantitative easing that caused right. that price to fluctuate? Right. And that leads to you know, capital misallocation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You have to have tight feedback loops, which means you need low to no bureaucracy. Yep. People need to be able to act based on the knowledge that is particular to their time and place. So if an entrepreneur is dealing with uh, you know, boats coming in, he doesn't need to like say, oh, there's 13 boats that came in. Let me send a message to Washington, D.C. and see if they approve this or not. And when it comes back, we'll make the decision. Right. By the time that information goes and comes back, there's going to be 50 boats there and yep. it's just a disaster, right? So you need tight feedback loops as an entrepreneur-led decision-making, yep. not bureaucrat-led. And then third, obviously in capitalism, failure matters, right? We don't yeah. have bailouts, bail-ins, tax subsidies, zombie companies, like in capitalism, if you're not profitable, you fail. Yeah, and the capital, as is life should be. As is life, right? Yeah. So it's like it's Darwinian, right? So that was the start. I was like, oh wow, there's this individual flow state that's like an optimal human experience for the or individual human organism, but we also try to create that in markets, and they operate best when they have the same informational conditions. Yeah. And then it started going down this rabbit hole where you're like, okay, in a perfect free market, people are doing ideally what they love, right? You've turned your passion into your paycheck kind of thing, such that more people would be operating in flow day in and day out. You could think of like the division of labor where we're each doing the thing that we specialize in. Right. It's kind of like the opportunity to discover flow. It's like whatever thing that you like to do for its own sake and that you're good at, right. and you get to push your skills within, well, that's, that's how you get into flow professionally. Right. And so on the aggregate, that would be a free market. So none of this was mentioned in the keynote, by the way, but that was like the lead in to how we started yeah. thinking about this. And, and we then, actually had this conversation in Wyoming. Yes, and I was yeah. just so starting kind of where I started that. Exactly. So I just- Let me, let me ask a couple questions about yeah. that before we dig in on that. So. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for for complete terms. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. 
So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. In, this, in the flow state, so if we think about this, you're applying this to the overall market economy, hundreds of millions or billions of people. Yeah. But on a personal level, um, we would want to access flow state because that's where we're, we're optimizing our performance, mm-hmm. like as you said, based off of that, that vector. Mm-hmm. And part of it, like personally, I would want to get in that because at that point when I'm in that flow state, things become almost effortless. Mm-hmm. So I read a book, I didn't read flow, but I read a book called Deep Work, mm-hmm. which is very similar in a sense where we want to have periods where we get into deep work, mm-hmm. giving yourself you know, one hour minimum, but two to three, four hours sometimes. And then they talk about where like time just gets away from yes. you. Everything just yes. starts coming, you know, whether you're writing mm-hmm. or researching, whatever you're doing. And so... Um, as humans, if we're, if we're going to be doing big things, big work, we should be trying to achieve these deep work states or these mm-hmm. flow states because that's mm-hmm. where this big stuff gets done. And, of course, um, modern technologies and just, you know, sh- you know, we've been training our brains for distractions. And that yeah. constantly pulls us out of the flow state. So right. I understand from that point um, why we'd want to understand this and achieve it as, as a personal level. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we take that to a, a larger level, like a market economy, would the economy also work more effortless? Instead of trying to force it, yeah, I think that's right. So, and it, it's a, it's hard to say like chicken or egg because you know the less you force the market economy, the more free the market is. Right. The more free individuals are to choose their own profession. Right. And I mean, it's kind of intuitive in a way. Don't you want a world in which people are creating the goods and services that they are passionate about creating. That they want to do, yeah. Right, rather than being forced into a job because inflation's destroying their savings or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they, yeah, and so instead of like, I hate my job, but I have to do it, yes. as opposed to doing what they want. Right, which is another, I mean, because you can't force a flow state. I can't put a gun to your head and say, get in the flow state. Right. It's like, it doesn't work, right? Yeah. You have Probably to be, takes you out of it. <laughs> 100%, like yeah. you have to be left to your own curiosity to, there's another progression here. So it starts with curiosity, right? Like you're just curious about the world. 
Children are really good at flow states, by the way. They're just okay. naturally curious. Yeah. Um, if you're left to be curious and you're uncoerced, you might develop, you might find something you're interested in and that thing might become a passion for you. And a passion pursued long enough can become a purpose, right? People decide that, hey, this thing that I'm into, I want to like commit my life to it. And then if purpose becomes, to pursue purpose well, you have to develop autonomy, right? Because typically the thing you're trying to do almost by definition doesn't exist in the world because otherwise you would just, someone else would be doing it. So purpose leads you to develop autonomy and then in the development of autonomy, you can ultimately culminate in self-mastery. And self-mastery is possession of those skills, uh, self-authorship, self-sovereignty and virtue really. So there's this element of freedom or spontaneity or uh, you cannot coerce it into existence, right? For the freedom's a necessary ingredient to the whole thing. Right. That's both the free market and right. that's the individual flow state. Right. So that was the, uh, the lead in. And then I guess where Bitcoin comes into the picture is that Bitcoin makes coercion less profitable, basically, right? Of course. Like inflation doesn't really work on a Bitcoin standard. You can't print the money. Mm -hmm. Taxation is more difficult because people have this hyper-portable form of capital. So if, if, you're, if I'm living in a jurisdiction that's mistreating me, it's much easier for me to vote with my feet or vote with my wallet. I can just take my Bitcoin and exit to a jurisdiction that treats me better. And so, and this gets into a bit of the sovereign individual thesis where we think the long run outcome of that is a world in which governments are incentivized to be accountable to the preferences of citizens, right? Whereas today, not so much. And not just, not just accountable, but actually I would argue the op even more than that because to your point now, it's easy for them just to steal. That's right. And if they can't steal, then they're accountable, but they're not really accountable. The only way they can get what they want is actually to provide value. That's right. Which is actually the opposite. That's right. So they become more of a free market enterprise in that way. They encourage and help it. Yeah, well, yeah, free market enterprise, yeah. Yeah, where a state's gonna just steal from you because you're immobile, right? Yeah. My capital's locked up in the fiat system, I'm stuck here. If I wanted to get capital out, there's capital controls and you know they'll, they'll deauthorize your bank account, freeze your assets, all these things. Right. You have no autonomy, actually, over your assets. Right. That's a real problem. Yep. But with Bitcoin, you have full autonomy yeah. over your assets. So there's the idea that Bitcoin would lead us to a world where coercion is less profitable. You could also say people have, just have, by virtue of having more autonomy over your assets, you are more capable of going through that progression, that flow progression from curiosity to passion to purpose to autonomy to self-mastery. Mm -hmm. We've kind of had like, in the West, you know, we have a high degree of autonomy. We have relatively strong private property rights, relatively stable rule of law, like bank accounts work, you know. Yeah. Uh, especially in Florida and Texas and Tennessee, you know, these states are right. business friendly for the most part, but we've been lacking the full autonomy over money, mm -hmm. right? Like as we've seen in the Canadian truck protest and many other yeah. bank issues before, you don't own your money that's in a bank, right? The bank owns the money yeah. and therefore you don't have autonomy over those funds. There's that and, and then the bigger one was the consequences. Mm -hmm. So there's no, there's no feedback mechanism. Yeah. And, and the feedback that there, so you said feedback loops and then consequences matter. And the feedback, the consequences matter is feedback. 
kind of, yeah, kind of right? Yeah, and so is information um, flowing. They're all connected. But, right. They're all, yeah. so, so information flowing, feedback loops, consequences. And when I think about going to Bitcoin, if you think about just today with the existing monetary system that we have, um, people want to compare Bitcoin transactions to Visa transactions, mm -hmm. for example, which is a horrible um, comparison because Visa transactions probably happen on like a fifth layer of settlement. That's right. That's right. Um, whereas it's Bitcoin not final is, settlement. Yeah. Bitcoin is final settlement. But even in, in regards to that, so if you think about the time, a free flow of information between the arbitrage between transaction time and settlement time. Mm -hmm. So I can go online right now, I can pull up Amazon, I can scan this, I could buy it, the transaction happens yeah. instantly. But when does the settlement happen? Never months, really. Months later? Well, I mean, I could charge my credit card back up to, what, six months? Yes. Um, and so maybe Visa batches that, sends me a report tomorrow, right. doesn't, hit my money, doesn't hit my bank account for three days, yeah. maybe a week, um, depending on what type of transaction it is, and then there's six months where it's like not immutable. Yeah. Um, and so that, that transact, so technology has gotten to this point where the transaction times have sped up. In the old days, I would have to travel to your yes. general store yeah. and we would transact yeah. and settle yeah. right away. Right. And now technology's got us to where transaction times have sped up, but yeah. settlement hasn't. Deferred settlement's very fast, right. but final settlement, I would argue, actually occurs never in a fiat system because gold is not changing hands. Because okay. if you think about it, even when those banks, you do the Amazon transaction, your bank settles with Amazon's bank probably T plus 60, 60 days later. Yeah. Those banks still have liability to the Fed, right? Right. The Fed can always just print more money into base and all. So yeah. I would argue that you never have final settlement in a fiat system. Like it's an eternal confidence game. Yeah. But with Bitcoin. Con game. Yeah, con game. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Bitcoin, you fully reunite. Defer, there's no deferred settlement, right? I'm just sending you specie, if yeah. you will, physical Bitcoin over the internet. Yeah. And so that cuts out a lot of that, in that gap where systemic risk and all these things fester, Bitcoin just kind of closes that gap, yeah. so. So there's a lot of reasons we could say why that's good or bad, mostly good, but in context of our discussion here, if it needs to be free-flowing information with a feedback loop, 
then we need that gap yes. to be closed. Yes, and failure, again, for the failure mattering is very important. Central banks and governments, right, they create these programs that are unprofitable, mm -hmm. no, which means no one actually wants them. That's what unprofitable means. Right. Like, no one's paying you for the fucking thing. It wouldn't be there <laughs> unless you could steal from taxpayers via yeah. taxation and inflation to pay for the thing. Right. So you end up with all these, you know, what did uh, Friedman say, that there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government yeah. solution? Yeah, exactly. You, we had the, I think Safety talks about the, I think it was Lebanon, the train authority is still a government um, organization 30 years after they've had any train tracks in the country. So right. I might have the country wrong. You get all these weird, all these, all this misallocation of capital, right. essentially, and it's all rooted in the theft, right? The ability to steal from productive market actors and fund whatever cockamamie scheme you want. Right. And so that, it destroys the flow of information. Price signals get all screwed up. Yep. Feedback loops go awry, right? Business owners, now, instead of just going to market and solving something for consumers, I gotta go through all this red tape. I gotta get a business license. I gotta wait. I gotta pay the fee. I gotta do this. I have to get permission. And so, by the time you get through that, the market might have changed. Right. So feedback loops are effed. Yeah. And then failure doesn't matter as much, right? The name of the game in fiat is to get too big to fail or die trying, basically. Because once you're too big to fail, well, you live on that taxpayer subsidy forever. Yep. You can't, you're literally deemed too big to fail, which is totally crazy if you look at it through a lens of nature. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? And, are, do we have any animals that are too big to fail? Is like an animal gets so big, like, well, let's keep that guy alive forever. Yeah. It's like, no, nature naturally dies and the resources go back into the soil and it. Yeah. Simply and the resources raised. back into the soil is the big piece. And yeah. so what happens is, you know, in a, in a free market capitalist system, then people should be able to move up the ladder. Mm -hmm. But if people aren't That's leaving right. the top positions and falling back That's down, right. then there's no room at the top. And so we need a system where people can go up and down. That's right. And it's maybe a little worse than that, too, because people that get into these positions inside of the state or near the fiat spigot can now extract resources from those lower down. And so what you tend to see is like an evisceration of the middle class. Yeah. So the rich getting way richer and the poor getting way poorer. Yeah. This might be a going into a tangent, but in regards to that specifically, I was having a conversation last night we're talking about AI, mm -hmm. right? And AI mm -hmm. is going to replace all these jobs. And, um, one thing that I disagree with a lot of people in regards to this is they think that it's going to replace so many jobs and all these people, all these jobs will be wiped out and then we're going to need UBI for this. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I agree. I agree with your disagreement. Right. And well, but, but here, but here's where the rub is and, and it, is that, you know, as, as animals, back to kind of this animal example, um, the lion's king of the jungle, it's mm -hmm. free, but it's not an easy life. It, mm -hmm. it has to fight. Right. It could be killed. It, it could starve to death, mm -hmm. but it's free. Now I could move it into a cage mm -hmm. and I could give it its one meal a day in antibiotics yeah. and now it's safe, but it's not free. Yeah. The problem with an animal is if that lion's born into captivity, I can't put it back into wild. Right. Maybe ever. I don't, I'm, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but we're not animals. That's we're right. humans. Yeah. And so my dad told my mom when I didn't want, I didn't want to eat my vegetables that if he's hungry enough, he's going to eat. And so if you're hungry enough, you're going to dig a hole. Or you, right. like whatever it is, you're going to do it if you're, you're hungry adapt. enough. You're going to adapt. Yeah. But so in regards to that, every time there's been a new t piece of technology, people said, hey, we're going to wipe out all these jobs. And we do. Mm -hmm. But because humans can adapt, mm -hmm. they've adapted. So when the Industrial Revolution took 5,000 jobs, they did medicine and science. Yeah. But the problem is when we do UBI, mm -hmm. we incentivize people not to adapt. That's right. And so in this case, yes, yes, AI will get rid of all those jobs. That's right. And instead of those people finding new jobs, they'll just That's be right. incentivized to do nothing. That's right. 
and you're penalizing those who are the most productive. Right. The taxpayers that are getting stolen from to fund UBI. Right. So you're disincentivizing productive action and incentivizing non-productive action. Yeah, exactly. And this is what destroys the world. Like, yeah. You're paying people to sit on their ass. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really good point. And the other, so to take it back to the keynote, we tried to get, because obviously this is rather abstract, you know, we're talking about the, how information moves and how market economies work and how flows, like these are, the flow state's a little less abstract because most people have experienced once mm -hmm. or twice, but when you, when you map that onto a market economy, right. that can be pretty abstract. You're basically saying the individual is like a fractal of, of the market, and so right. that can be a leap. We tried to, and that, that type of content lends itself better to an essay format, so for the keynote, we tried to bring it down to embodied experience to make it visceral for people. So one of the things, and the punchline there with Bitcoin is like Bitcoin enables more of a market economy. So it's more of a flow state market economy, but it's also allowing people to self-select jobs that they get into flow more often with, right? right? Like I assume you like what you do. Sure. You probably get into flow a lot in these conversations yep. and doing your, your new, like it's a job that's satisfying, right? right? That's great, right? You got to choose something that the world pays you for, that you're good at, and that you enjoy. Yep. The ideal world is when we have as many people as possible doing that, right. finding their thing. So Bitcoin becomes this instrument that enables more people to discover flow by making coercion more expensive, essentially. So to try and embody these, like the difference between Bitcoin and let's say central banking or the Federal Reserve, we use an analogy from Terminator 2. And we're saying, imagine if there was a cyborg programmed to defend your family and loved ones. And now the first cyborg is programmed in the spirit of the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. It's like, if you've seen Terminator 2, the liquid metal guy, right. we're using images of him, it's like, okay. He lies to you every day. He's coercive and manipulative without remorse. He'll borrow, borrow your resources without your permission. Yeah. If he borrows and too much and runs out of resources, he will conscript your kids to go and die for his debts, right? So we're analogizing this entity yeah. to, like, to central banking. And I said, okay, that's pretty grim. Right. <laughs> so let's yeah. imagine another cyborg that's programmed with the values and virtues of Bitcoin and he'll never tell a lie, can't tell a lie, because Bitcoin is truth. Um, it would have perfect integrity, and that it will only ever do what it says it will do, just like Bitcoin. Um, it would perfectly preserve energy or purchasing power into the future for your kids forever. Mm -hmm. uh, no watt would be expended wastefully, like all the energy in Bitcoin goes towards preserving private property, so it would be totally unwasteful. It would encourage, motivate, and incentivize One. your kids and your family to grow and be the best they could be. Exactly, so which gets back to that flow state, because we're talking about kids, it's like, if we want to build this world, this flow state, free market capitalist world, well, we better start with the kids, obviously, right? right? Like. Always starts with the kids. Can't teach an old dog new tricks, so to speak. Like, sure, we can improve ourselves and we can all try to be better, but the real future we're talking about is in the kids and in their kids and so on. And the, so, kid, and the kids are under attack today. That's right. And we went into state schooling. Um, 
the author John Taylor Gatto wrote two books, uh, Weapons of Mass Instruction mm. and Dumbing Us Down. And it was talking about the Western educational system and where it came from. And so these two cyborgs, basically, you know, you get the bad liquid metal Federal Reserve cyborg and you get the Arnold Schwarzenegger Bitcoin cyborg that actually defends your family and also defends the rest of the neighborhood. Like he's open to taking care of everyone. That was kind of like, uh, I guess, a way of anthropomorphizing Bitcoin and saying like, we should try to be like that for our kids, be, you know, in using Bitcoin to defend their purchasing power, um, telling the truth, exhibiting integrity. And in doing so, you would nurture your children's curiosity. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The young and most precious minds among us, which are our kids, or they are the future, if you nurture their curiosity and give them the opportunity to discover passion and give them the opportunity to figure out purpose and then develop autonomy and then ultimately pursue self-mastery, these are the things parents want for their kids, right? right? If you don't want, and it's also the things central planners don't want in their population. Right. Like, I want you dumb and addicted and conforming. So and you can be a cog in a wheel. You trusting the science. Dependable. Yeah. Reliable. So like, that can't be a coincidence, right? Like, these are things good parents want in their kids and the exact opposite of those, those things is what central planners want in their population. Right. And so it's about moving away from, it's really just getting the state out of our affairs. Yeah. And that gets us back towards this progression that we can discover flow and hopefully just build a better world. Yeah. I listened to this interview with uh, Pom Mike Pompeo, who was uh, previous Secretary of State, used to be with the CIA. Um, I think he was talking about potentially running for a president. And, and this was a couple months ago. And in the interview, they asked him, who do you think the most dangerous person in the world is? Is it Putin right now? Mm -hmm. Would you say it's Z, like 
who's the most dangerous person in the world at this at this time? And um, he named uh, a, a lady. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. I was trying to think about it. Um, and she, he said, she's the most dangerous person in the world. I'm like, well, who's this? It's the head of the Secretary of Education of the United States. <laughs> yeah, okay. More dangerous than anyone else yeah. in the world. Well, why would you say that? Yeah. Because she's educating the kids. Yes. And she's not educating them properly, we'll just say that. That's right. And so to the point that you're making, right, I mean, they're driving them down the wrong path. And everywhere you look, unfortunately, um, and maybe we can kind of talk about this, but uh, politics works against our best incentives, right? And it's, mm -hmm. is that a feature of them wanting to centrally plan and manage, or is that just a symptom of as things grow, that's how it turns? So for example, um, in order to get food to more people, um, food production has been centralized, so it can become more efficient, more cost-effective, mm -hmm. but to become more efficient, cost-effective, then they've lowered the quality of the food, which works mm -hmm. against what I want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is some of this like that, or is it more to, like I said, to centrally plan, they need everybody to be dependable, reliable, and a cog in a wheel, and they can't have you being a free thinker. Yeah, it's a great question, and I mean, my admitted tunnel vision, right, I think a lot of it's rooted in the money. Like, yeah. once you start to centralize the money, well, what does money do? It's like, it's the one of the primary things that moves humans in the world. Like, people wake up, what, how do they spend most of their days? Like, the average person. Like Chasing money? <laughs> going to work, yeah. right? Trying to get money so they can eat and have shelter and all these other things. If all of a sudden one organization can just print money out of thin air, right. well then that's like the power to control people, like to control human action to a large extent. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me at all that we see government centralize in tandem with the centralization of money. Yeah. So, you know, I as far as like the the sequence, yeah. and th I'm not saying this is like purely linear. Obviously, there's feedback between them, but I think technology, essentially dictates how we interact with the world, right? Like mm -hmm. if, we're, if we're hunters and gatherers, well, typing fast doesn't really matter, right? You know, you better be able to throw a spear or whatever yeah. it is. Today we're digital people, we're all stuck on our phones. Yeah. Homeless people to billionaires, all spending their time on basically the same device yeah. every day. So it's like technology, I think, actually drives economics in that it's, determining what we do every day, what jobs we're doing, right? That we're operating within a specific technological paradigm and those jobs typically have to do with those technologies, right? Like we all work on computers today, we right. all work on the internet. Well, that wasn't the case 50 years ago and so on right. and so forth. So it's, in terms of going downstream, it's like technology, then economics, mm -hmm. and then economics influences culture because culture is just how we how, how we interact, how we organize ourselves. Obviously, there's different features of like food and religion and ritual and all these things kind of mixed into it. But even those things have to do with technology and economics, right? It's like, well, what churches are we building? Are we in a hut? Or are we in a cathedral, right. right? It depends on what paradigm you're in. And so you get cultures kind of emerging from economics to some extent. I'm not saying that culture is economic necessarily. It's just that culture is influenced more by sure. economics than the inverse. And then f then downstream from culture is politics, yeah. right? Which is people fighting over the rules, yeah. essentially. 
And in that example I gave about like food being mass produced so they can bring costs down and become more efficient, but then they're serving less quality food. If the money supply wasn't broken and they weren't forced to try to make it more economical because right. one, people could afford to pay a higher price, then yeah. it be, wouldn't be working against it. So it kind of does go back to the money in that, in that respect. That's right, and the tax subsidies, right? So they subsidize corn, sugar, et cetera. They're stealing from productive market actors and then subsidizing a specific crop, which rewards the largest, the most centralized providers of that crop, at the expense of smaller, more um, boutique operations. So what do you get? Yeah. You get centralized money leading to centralized food. Yeah. And then when you get to centralized food, and which is also centralized wealth, they're also going to, via the lobby mechanism, vote themselves favorable regulations and then we get fucking seed oils and industrial yeah. sludge, and it just, yeah. it destroys the world, yeah. so, um, yeah. Yeah, so um, kind of what we had talked about the other day, where like this system of government, uh, politics is just not compatible with the world anymore, because the world has moved and it hasn't. And so kind of going back to that kind of AI, UBI type of example, um, that's only gonna continue to exaggerate the problems, yeah. not make them better. And so the only way that we're gonna get better, I guess one of two ways, either one, the world culture mm -hmm. technology goes back to the way it was, right. or- Which is never gonna happen. Which is never gonna happen, yeah. or the political system has to change. That's right. The, mon that's the right. monetary, the political and monetary system has to change. That's right, yeah, and I think, uh, Eric Weinstein said this well earlier, that technology has always chased people into higher value add activities. Right. So it's always scary when it's happening. Without UBI. Without UBI, exactly. So although it's creative destruction, right, where, okay, your job, you're, you're an Italian shoe merchant, and all of a sudden the factory got installed down the street. Pretty scary. Like I've been making shoes for three generations, and now they're printing them out by the thousand. Right. I'm probably out of business. That sucks, right? So people resist that. They used to, they used to destroy factories, right? right? These people would protest against it, but that's so dumb because that factory actually increases aggregate wealth and productivity. But um, he has to go now find a new skill. That's to right. To the market. He has to adapt. And so this is, people need to understand that, especially in times of great upheaval and change like we're living through, it's and, and humility and adaptation that are at a premium. Yeah. And think about, I mean, if we want to go way back to like early days, like hunter-gatherers, once you've exhausted all the food supplies in that area, what do you do? You, you move, move, that's right. You move to the next area. Yeah. Like this is just human nature. This is yeah. how it's always worked. Yeah, so it's, and it's almost like, when the, the argument that, oh, if, if AI is successful, that means we have to have UBI. It's not thinking properly. Because what you're saying is, if AI is successful, then by definition, it's a profitable enterprise, which means it's increasing human productivity. So it's a net benefit for everyone. In needing to increase UBI by the jobs that are displaced, right, the accountants, lawyers, whoever else that get laid off by AI, no, you don't need to steal from whoever's succeeding in the market and fund right. those people. Those people need to go and develop new skills. That's the process of the marketplace. We're adapting, right? Yeah. And so, what, like, like Weinstein, Weinstein said, it chases you up the value stack. So mm -hmm. if we don't need attorneys and accountants and all this stuff in 50 years because of AI, great. Yeah. Go do something that people want, right? Figure out what the market demands, what you can get paid for, what you're good at. Hopefully that you can in, in, enter into flow and in doing and do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a good, uh, good place to break. We'll probably stop there. Um, 
Unfortunately, uh, well, I'll just maybe um, we could just riff, finish on this piece. So, like, what does this mean for the future? And so, I think ultimately the thesis is then that if something doesn't change, then we continue to exaggerate this problem, mm -hmm. and no government is going to be willing to change this on their own. And so, Bitcoin could force that change. Essentially, yeah. Technology, you know, sovereign individual, right? The, yeah. Obviously, the four mega political variables that shape human society: climate, microbiology. Topography, I think, is the other one. And then the most important one is technology. Right. Because technology affects all the other ones, right? Yep. Like, as technology changes, well, we inoculate ourselves against microbiology. Right. And we fly, so we don't have to worry about we topography move. and all these other things. So technology seems to be the prime thing, yeah. you know? Like, it changes how we interact with the world. It's upstream from economics, culture, politics, as I described earlier. We should embrace that. It makes life better. Now, yep. it's it's not always purely good necessarily. We also develop things that are terrible, like nuclear bombs and things like that. So it can be a double-edged sword, but yeah. in general, if a technology is successful in the marketplace, that is a signal that pe it's improving people's lives yeah. in an economic way. Yeah. So we, we should embrace that. Yeah, cool. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.